Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Seasons, a podcast about two friends catching up on notable television shows one season at a time. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season three of the first show in our rewatch category, Avatar The Last Airbender. How are we doing, Damask? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm really good, thank yeah. you. I wonder why we're in such a good mood. I have no idea. <laughs> it's not the state of politics in the world at the moment, oh, I'll tell you that much. Just don't bring it up. It makes me very sad. We record these about six weeks in advance of when they go up. The whole world might be different now. That's true. Maybe things are completely different to where they are right now and we're just like, people look at us and go, what are you talking about? The world's at peace. This is fantastic. Or the world could be over and no one's listening. <laughs> you never know. That's, this is what will keep us going. It's podcasts. That'll, <laughs> that'll become currency. My face just went very blank. Yes, totally, bro. Sure. Okay, obligatory spoiler warning on this episode. We will be discussing everything that happens in the complete series of Avatar The Last Airbender. If you have not yet watched Avatar, pause the podcast. Just go and watch it. Just Please watch it. Do it. And then come back and you can listen to the rest of the podcast. If you're not worried about spoils at all, go ahead. But you have been warned. Quick breakdown of this season. Season 3... Uh, of Avatar The Last Airbender is 21 episodes long. That's one more extra on top of what the others are, all 20 episodes, each coming in at around 24 minutes. And this season took us approximately 8 hours and 25 minutes to watch. I'm saying approximately now. I've figured out that some of our time things I've been coming up with have not been as accurate as I thought. So we'll give a roundabout estimate from now on. It's probably for the best. Probably for the best. Uh, now, Damask, do you have a breakdown of the season for us? I do have a breakdown. Or a synopsis might be a better term for it. Oh, and I was listening to my breakdown for the last season of Avatar. Sure. And I'm really worried because I said this word in a way that makes me really angry. And I don't know if it's I actually say it that way or because I was reading and like Which rushed word? or whatever. Library. But I said library. Library. Like, like three times. I actually times. remember you saying that. Like three times. Why didn't you tell me I was saying it weird? I don't want to stop your flow. Just go oh, for it. Oh, you should definitely stop my flow. Okay, I sound like you... a fucking moron. <laughs> go ahead. Let's So count, I'd, I'd let's like count. to apologize to our listeners for that. That's just So how should you say it? Library. Library. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> All right, so obviously if you've just watched season three of Avatar, you don't have to listen to the rundown. Skip ahead if you want, otherwise. Good idea. Here's the season three rundown of Avatar. Book three, Fire Begins. A few weeks have passed since we last saw our heroes. Aang has been unconscious while healing from his battle with Azula. Upon awakening, his friends inform him that the world believes him to be dead. Sucker and the rest of the gang assure him that this is good news since it means the Fire Nation will no longer be actively pursuing him. 
But Aang is once again riddled with guilt at having let down the world he was born to protect. While the Aang gang are adjusting to covert life behind enemy lines, Prince Zuko is no longer ashamed to show his face for the first time in about three years. He's welcomed back to his homeland with open arms, praised for not only conquering Ba Sing Se with his sister, but also for finally defeating the Avatar for good. He has everything he has ever wanted. But the cost of betraying his uncle Iroh weighs heavily on him. Because he made a terrible decision. Aang and his friends wait for the day of the Black Sun, as it's when the Fire Nation and the Fire Lord are there at their most vulnerable. They encounter a wide array of Fire Nation people, and they manage to connect and empathise with many. But all of these meaningful encounters appear as though they were simply distractions, as the day of the eclipse arrives. Aang feels as though he is ill-prepared to battle the Fire Lord, but Saka, Katara, Toph and a band of friends from the past assure him they all have faith in his abilities. The invasion takes place and our heroes fight nobly. They make it through the impossible odds, only to find that the Fire Nation is far more prepared than they had considered. The Fire Lord knew of the impending attack and removed himself from the firing line. While the battle ensues, Prince Zuko confronts his father. He realises now that while he may have wanted his father to restore his honour, the only person that can do that is Zuko himself. He turns his back on the Fire Lord and the lies of his nation, and goes to release his uncle from prison. Our nifty Iroh, though, has been planning his own escape all along and doesn't actually need the help of Zuko. As the battle continues, the Earth Nation and Water Tribe forces have no way of escape. With the Fire Lord still undefeated, they cannot continue the fight. The Aang gang manage to successfully retreat, but in their wake, they leave behind their friends and family who fought beside them. This is yet another defeat the Avatar has resting on his shoulders. But as our friends fly off atop Arpa, who do we see following them? The Prince Zuko, looking to find his destiny and reclaim his honour. Once Aang, Saka, Katara and Toph settle down at the Western Air Temple, they have an unexpected visitor in Zuko. While he once believed his destiny was to capture the Avatar, he now knows that it is in fact to help the Avatar master firebending and bring balance to the world. The group may be reluctant to allow him to join, but they realise that he may be Aang's only hope to master the fourth and most elusive element. The group grows closer as Sozin's comet rushes towards them. Aang and his friends plan to wait until after its arrival to fight Lord Ozai. I mean, he's pretty much won the war already, what's the point of fighting him on the day he's at his most powerful? Sounds logical, right? Sure, that is until Zuko points out that, thanks to his inside intel, Ozai plans to completely wipe out the Earth Kingdom and bathe the world in fire. There's no time for patience, the young Avatar must act. And so, on the day of the comet, Saka, Toph, Katara, Suki and Zuko wake to find that Aang has gone missing, which is unfortunate. But they've no time to find him and instead decide to set the plan in motion and just have faith that Aang will return and fight when he is needed. Where is Aang? Great question. Well, he was drawn out to sea by a giant lion turtle, of course. Um, and this giant lion turtle gives him some secret knowledge of how to not only destroy the Fire Lord, but also stay true to himself and his culture. Mighty, mighty handy. And so the final battle begins. Saka, Suki and Toph attack the Fire Lord's airships, while Zuko and Katara battle against Azula, and Aang faces off with Lord Ozai. Yay! The battle is won, everyone's victorious, and the world is made whole once more. And as Zuko and Aang unite in friendship, the world too is unified in an age of peace. The end. Very nice summary. Thank you very much, Damask. 
You're welcome. Sorry. <laughs> You're the master of voices, aren't you? I am. I'm auditioning for some sort of animated television show, if anyone wants <laughs> to give me some work. Uh, Nickelodeon needs to make another Avatar series right now, if they ask me, so do it. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Let's get stuck into it. Mm-hmm. Let's start where I did start last time, at least with Ooh. the last Breaking Bad episode. General thoughts. How do we feel about the season overall before we get into direct points? What about How do you feel, Damask? I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It's my favourite. I was... Oh, not even saving that to the end? Just... No, no. If, because as soon as I start actually talking about it, I'm just going to be gushing and everyone's just going to get the hint anyway. Sure. Um, it was so good. What are your general thoughts? Love it too. Yeah. Absolutely love it. I don't think it's my favourite. I think I still like season two more. Boo. <laughs> I, st- I like season two more. Um, for reasons that we'll discuss as we go on, but it, mm-hmm. that, but I say that with giving season two five stars, yep. like like I gave it a as good a score as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, season three is not far behind at all. I have a couple of key criticisms which bring it down, which we'll which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's fantastic, yeah. and it's it, it, there's nothing like getting a satisfying third act, like getting payoff for all those story threads that have been coming off coming through since the very first season, um, going to those places you want to go to, seeing those things you want to see, having those emotional beats hit, and it they hit. And everyone, but maybe Toph, really, really gets their moment to shine one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no surprises there. It's, it's excellent. And you knew that. You knew we were discussing this series because we loved it already. Yeah. All right, let's get into some uh, discussion points. Got a couple of things I want to talk about first. Well, I think actually the best way to discuss it Rather, let's just pick apart each main character and their story this season. Starting with Sounds good. Starting right. with Aang. He mm-hmm. starts off the season having gone through one of the biggest defeats of his life. Won't be the only defeat he ever has. They are oh. they lose so often. And I knew I'd heard the line in the Ember Island play is one of the best episodes of the season as well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think Toph Kit says, or someone, or Suki says, "Geez, you guys lose a lot." Yes, yeah, she does. And it's true; they do lose yeah. a lot. Um, all of them, whether it's the Aang gang or whether it's Zuko, they all lose so often. But I think that's really important to the story: is that they, every time something goes wrong and they have to reset, they are also ready to get back into it. That's pretty. Amazing. I mean, I think that's something that is so unique, uniquely Avatar, is that they do lose so often. But it absolutely enriches every character mm-hmm. and every plotline. Yeah, it's and it's learning to take the little victories where they can as well, and mm, and sometimes just survival is enough. Or yeah, there's there's it's pretty interesting that sort of stuff. Let's get into Ang. Ang starts yeah, as I said, starts this season from the biggest defeat of his life. Everything looked like it was going so well at the end of season two, and then yeah. it all falls apart. And all of a sudden, he's been struck out of nowhere. He was gone, as in dead. He's been luckily sort of resurrected by a little spirit war that Katara happened to have. He got the Buffy have. treatment. He did. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too. It's like, oh, geez, he's come back. And you yeah. kind of wonder, mm, do they do like a Buffy thing where there's another avatar all of a sudden? They don't do that. No, <laughs> he just comes back. It's Thank fine. goodness, yeah. That'd be interesting though. Um, but maybe not that interesting. The he, From there, he's quite down the fact that people think he's dead, that he's failed again yeah. and that has to go into hiding. He can't just be the avatar. They go into hiding into the Earth Kingdom, in the, sorry, the Fire Nation, and it's all about making their way. What, what I liked about your summary that you just went through was that you really just went to what this season does, which has the opening, setting up where yeah. our characters are. Then we go to the middle section, which is the Day of Black Sun, and then the final section, which is Sozin's Comet. And that's well, where the narrative pushes are because yeah. very... I wanted to get to this later, but we may as well talk about it now. 
this season is much more episodic. It's way less serialized than the last mm-hmm. season was. Last season, every episode seemed to flow from one to the next. They have a that's lot of my, little adventures yeah, in this That's why one. my summary was so much shorter because yeah. I was going to talk about every like little episodic thing that we saw yeah. because what's the point? So I just hit the major notes, which are really, really like those three points, yeah. very clear points in the season, which, yeah, we definitely didn't see previously. No. And it, in it's, season two. It, those little episodes make for giving each character sort of a story and a moment to explore or, or have payoff for something that's been building up mm. over the entire run. But anyway, Aang is building up to getting to the day of Black Sun, the day that he is meant to fight the Fire Lord. He has a lot of anxiety about that, which is quite interesting. He doesn't really know. He doesn't feel like he's ready because he hasn't learned firebending yet. As Saka points out, during the eclipse, no one can firebend anyway, so you really don't need to know that. Yeah. Um, of course, they were doomed from the beginning because this is all on you since the end of last season that they were coming to invade that day. Yeah, um, thanks Earth King for that little tidbit. Yep, idiot. They lose again. A push, the biggest opportunity to take out the Fire Lord doesn't happen. Um, and from there, Aang has, has to once again regroup. One moment I loved in the Western Air Temple episode with Aang, he, he goes back to a version of himself that we saw back at the start of season one. Very, that child who loves a bit of avoidance. Yeah, <laughs> just wants to ride around his glider and do mm-hmm. tricks and run around the, the air temple and do all the fun slides yeah. and whatever it might be. He's not able to concentrate on anything you're saying because he's like, look what I can do. Yeah. yeah. And he's doing it on purpose. Which, he's yeah, doing it previously just to... it was innocent and now it is avoidance. It's yeah. just kind of like ignoring his responsibility. But it's so Aang and it's so mm-hmm. airbender. You know, it's all about avoid and evade as as someone, I can't remember if someone said in the previous season. I think it was Boomy actually. And that's, he's doing it again. And we go, he's gone, he's failed so many times. He's just like, He's not even sure anymore. The big, big dilemma, of course, in Aang in this season is can he kill a person? Can he, even though Fire Lord Ozai is trying to wipe out the entire Earth nation, commit genocide on a whole, a second for a second time in the Fire Nation's history, 100-year history, um, can he actually kill him for the sake of the world? And it really drives, yeah, pushes Aang to his the edge of his sort of moral beliefs in who he thinks he is. How did you find that element of the story? Um, I, I think it was really well done because generally it's not something that I haven't seen before in which a hero has to um, deal with the burden of having to use violence and the repercussions of that on the self. Um, and str- yeah, just struggling with that. However, I really liked that it was so tied in to Aang's culture. Mm-hmm. This is his the philosophy that he was brought up on. Um, and that's that was the core of the issue was how do you be the avatar? How do you bring balance of the world um, with such huge responsibilities and still keep a sense of self? Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I kind of wish the way that he could have kept himself was a little bit more organic than yeah, sure. the way it ended. But I like the journey overall. What about you? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about it a bit later about probably one of my key criticisms is how his solution to this moral dilemma of his comes about. But what I love is that he keeps asking people for advice mm-hmm. on this situation. He is looking so hard for an answer that isn't killing the Fire Lord and every single person he talks to all tell him from a different point of view that, yeah, you just kind of got to do it, man. Like, there's yeah. no other way around this. That's the solution to this problem and you have to do it. And he is 
he has to get there almost completely on his own. Um, yeah, there's no one around him that's supporting or has a, has any ideas on what else he could be doing. Not realistically, anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to find um, what episode was that where he's talking to the past avatars? Was that uh, the, like one of the last ones? It's episode it? eight. That's right. Episode nineteen. Yeah. Episode nineteen, and yeah, the so old masters, I think Roku tells him to be decisive. Kyoshi says only justice will bring peace, and then Kurik, I think his name is, mm-hmm. says you must actively shape your own destiny and the destiny of the world, and not to be so passive. And then the Airbender avatar, previous avatar, even says like, you, because he's like, okay, someone who's going to agree with me here because our philosophies are similar, and she's like, the thing is, you are the avatar. You are not just an Airbender. You will never be able to achieve. Mm-hmm what the monks, air-bending monks can do, which is sort of yep. detach themselves from the world. Yang Chen, I think is her name. She so. said, this isn't about you. This is about the world. Selfless duty tells you to sacrifice your own spiritual needs. Yeah, exactly. So he has to put the world ahead of his own enlightenment, which is an interesting point when you take into consideration what he was trying to learn from the guru at the end of season two, which yep. was like to achieve his, well, to gain ability to tap into the avatar state whenever he needs to, he has to reach enlightenment and detach from the yeah. world. But as the avatar, that's not really an option anyway. Mm. I think that's really interesting. This just conflicting ideas and none of them, it doesn't really resolve itself. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that stuff's really interesting. Yeah. And well, you know, I, I agree that, you know, to in order to be the avatar, you might not be able to fully commit completely to your spirituality and to reach enlightenment and all that thing. But if you think, if you separate it from spirituality and bring it down to ideals of like... yeah non-violence and being empathetic and understanding towards difference and other people. I think Aang as an avatar, that's what he wants to bring to the world. Exactly. Um, and so, yes, he might not, you know, reach personal enlightenment, but there's, I, th- and I think he comes to the realisation that he, that is something that he can share with the world and teach the world is about being kind, making room for other people. Um yeah, so no, I, I loved that journey. And like you said, it, at the end of the day, what is I think the show confirms is that it's more about who Aang is in a pers- as a person beyond his spirituality. That's just who he is. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's able to find another solution because there, it was never going to be. He could never have done it any other way. He actually gets actively gets the opportunity to do it. And twice, twice pulls out of killing Ozai in the final battle. Yeah. Um, just because it's just not in his nature. Uh, Katara this season is really an exploration of Katara's dark side. This is, she has been gone through this journey and starts that you think of her in that first episode, the girly little, girly, mm, innocent, sort of girlish, maybe even waterbender. She's certainly full of like hope (laughs) and (laughs) a few other things, but she's, you know, very naive and young at that stage. And then where she is by this season after being betrayed by Zuko, after sort of <laughs> seeing the dark side, I've been given a lot of power. Um, and you see some really interesting sides to Katara. What do you think of her this season? Um, I mean, I'm definitely down for exploring a darker side of Katara. I'm not sure how I feel about the execution of it. Oh, okay. Um, the Episode in particular I'm thinking of is when she finds out about the man who killed her father. The who was the head of the Southern Raiders, yeah. the Fire Nation group that went to the Southern Water Tribe and would take the water be- or take in prison and then in one case kill mm. water waterbenders. 
Um, I think if I look at it as the overall, I think, theme of this season, which is about failure and facing failure and how you can examine your own failures to grow as a person. Sure. Um, I like it in that sense, but as I don't know if I totally bought Katara's immediate anger. So like, and it wasn't just anger; it was like blind rage. I'm yeah, I'm not sure if I was fully sold on that at all. Okay. I like like I like the idea of that. I like the idea of someone suffering such a deep and painful loss to which they kind of feel responsible for because she, you know, left her mom and couldn't get her dad in time and that kind of thing. Um, I like the idea of it. I'm not sure about the execution. It, yeah, okay, it's interesting. You, you might be right there. I think Katara's episodes personally are some of the best in the season. She has the episode where she meets another waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe, Hama, and That's a very cool episode. Very cool episode. This is when Katara officially becomes OP. Yeah. When she learns bloodbending mm-hmm. or comes, yeah, she ends up using it. She has to in self-defense or to, to, more importantly, to look after Aang and Sokka. And that is, that is a creepy, dark episode. This isn't a character who can literally control people by manipulating the blood inside them. Yeah. And Katara has that Thank power God too. Thank it's only on a full moon because otherwise she'd just be like, well, Phylord's dead. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. It would be, like I said, OP. Um, thank goodness has a limitation. But the it's a really interesting place to take Katara because what drives Hama is revenge for the way she was treated and what happened to the Southern Water Tribe as well. I think Katara takes some of that on. She sees that and she has been betrayed by Zuko and like she really, really, it's. I love how they. When Suko joins the Ang Gang, she's the last person to get on board with him. Mm-hmm. She is the one who puts up all the hostility for three or four episodes before she finally sort of makes peace with him being a part of the group, um, because she act. He actively went against sort of their interaction in season two. Mm. And I don't know. I, just, I I did believe that she just got to a point where she, a she's seen way too much, been betrayed way too many times by these sorts of people, or been hurt by the Fire Nation so much, and has so much power that maybe she really believes that she can actually make a difference now. That now that she has that power, she feels she's tempted to do something with it because at the end would of the day, see, she doesn't. Which you kind of see a little bit of that in Painted Lady, where she like she's like, well, I have the power. Um, to help people and so I might, you know, stop the mission that's happening, but you know, I'll do it and I'll be seen she's as almost like this spirit god person. Stubborn as fuck. Like yeah, she, she will is. and like when Aang is trying to talk her down from going and seeking out this Southern Raiders guy, mm. she's just not she's not even coming to the conversation at all. She's like, maybe it is revenge. Whatever. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And like like But yeah, I think Aang completely approaches that conversation from the wrong angle though. In which it's it's not really for and i know this is part of his like spirituality and his his ideals and that kind of thing of like forgiving other people and that kind of thing whereas i think for katara a lot of that frustration and rage is like just being able to like forgive yourself and like just generally forgive the world for like you know terrible things happen it's not your fault at all and that kind of thing so i think that's why she couldn't hear it um I, I just guess I like that Katara... I think Katara can... It's very easy for Katara to just be a very one-note, sort of that motherly, 
sort of naggy figure and that she's been given a lot of complexity in this, even in the first episode of this season when Hakoda, her dad, this is, this is the first time we've seen them together and she is hostile towards him. Passive aggressive maybe is a better word for it. And you're kind of like, what's going on here? And it turns out that she's just has this sort of totally understandable but illogical um, frustration with him that he left. And that this is a part of who she is. And yeah. I think that's really cool. I think that makes her more of a person that she... Yeah, once once again, I like the idea of that more okay. than the execution of that. Fair enough. Because, um, you know, I really, really like Katara as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it maybe it's um, just a, re- a reality of it being a children's show and only having like 23-minute episodes. Sure. And we've got such a huge story to deal with. Um, we can't take the time that maybe I would like, but... It would certainly be nicer yeah. if this could it could be more serialized. See, the one story that does get serialized well this season is Zuko's. Ooh, Zuko yes. gets his little like whatever episode we've got going on. Zuko's usually got his little. He's the B story, and he's got his little. This week he's talking to Iroh. He's getting frustrated. This week it's something that's happening with him and Azula. This week it's you know whatever, and that means that he can grow a lot more organically over the season. Instead, what we get with our main characters is like. Here's the here's the Saka episode of the first set, half of the season. Here's the second Saka episode of the season, mm-hmm. and so you, they get to like have their story. Then they tap out. They go back in, and so it's not as natural. Yeah. I think those episodes are great, but I agree with you that maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't get to be quite as yeah. organic as it might otherwise be. Yeah, it's unfortunate that instead of like you know just having like one or two episodes each, that and which, you know, a huge amount of growth is needed in those episodes that you don't just see like five minutes of that throughout yeah. in each episode yeah. of yeah people growing or like showing a different side of their personality and how that side can be triggered. I think that is exactly the reason I prefer season two slightly over season three. Yeah, right. Because actually going into this, I thought season three was my favorite season, mm. but watching it and examining it as closely as I have, this is like my third, like I said, third or fourth time watching the show through. Yeah. It does occur to me that season three, as great as it is, and it is great, is a little less sophisticated for some reason in that sense. They went back to the episodic thing and they're mm. good, but they're, I don't know, it, you you do lose some subtlety. You do lose some yes, flow, true. maybe is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. Let's keep moving. Saka this season is really sort of about his self-actualization as like a leader and a hero and learning what well, I love... The Saka's Master episode. Mm, yeah. Um, if anyone's seen Buffy, you might know, be familiar with the episode, The Zeppo, Zeppo yeah. which is where the idea is that Xander is the one person in the group who doesn't have a power. He's not super powered like Angel or Buffy or super knowledgeable like Giles or have witchy powers like like um, Willow. Or, he's just oh, a guy. He's not a werewolf either. He's yeah. not a werewolf. That's right. Oz is there too. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that episode, episode in a while. He's just a guy. And you, it's a, it's an episode that follows him pretty exclusively. There's like this apocalypse <laughs> happening in the background, which the is really cool. Sisterhood of something that they're that yeah. Buffy and the gang but are the trying hel- to destroy. The Hellmouth is opening yeah, again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's all in the background because the whole mm-hmm. episode follows pretty much exclusively follows Xander, and it's just about how he is sort of important. Mm-hmm. That he is a hero too, and I love this episode. Is exactly the same idea. Everybody that he's surra- Saka surrounded by can do awesome stuff like fly or manipulate water or manipulate the earth. And he can't do any of that. Mm. When they're fighting a fire, he just has to get out of the way. And so I love that he gets to really understand his 
qualities, what makes him special and um, and useful. I love that. Mm. And then as it goes on, it's it's yeah, really him about him yeah becoming a leader and becoming. He has an interesting sort of honor problem like Zuko does as well, where he's trying to rescue his father and other water tribe soldiers from a prison. Mm. What do you think about those episodes, the Boiling Rock episodes? Um, it's it's weird that I'm being like so critical because I love I know, this season. It's I know. really interesting. Because like just before we started, I was telling Brad, I'm like, oh, it was really hard for me to write notes or little questions and stuff to ask because I was just enjoying the season so much. And if I can't write anything critical, it's really hard for me to write anything at all because that's kind of like where I bounce every idea from. Mm-hmm. Um, in that episode, I once again, it follows the It's theme. actually two episodes. It's so a yeah, two-parter. Yeah, follows the season theme of failures and dealing with failure. Um, I felt the whole thing about him kind of regaining his honour as a way to somehow like parallel Zuko was a little heavy nose. handed. Yeah. yeah. Um but oh I, don't, I don't know. What? I, I mean they didn't really emotionally affect me. It was great to see Suki. I freaking loved that. And I loved the moments in the episode where May and Ty Lee turned into Zula. I thought that was really cool. A great moment for all three of them. Um, but it's as for Saka, I'm not sure if if the, I would look to those episodes as moments of real change in him. The the thing that does happen subtly, I think, is that compared to him in season two, in season three, he is much more willing to let Suki be Suki and not be a super protective, overbearing boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Or That's, a sexist. Or a sexist. Was that in season one? Season one yeah. more, yeah. yeah. But really in, just in season one. But he bec- mm. he's very overprotective of Suki in season two because of what happened to Yue. Um, and then in this season, he's not like that at all. He has totally is like Suki is awesome and they are a great couple. I fucking love them. I think they're my favorite couple in Avatar. They're so good. They just, they just because they work. They just they totally, totally work together. It, it genuinely feels like an organic coupling. Mm-hmm. And maybe not how I feel about other ones. Yeah. And if that, if nothing else, even if it's not as sort of a big, deep dive into the dark side of, of Saka or anything like that, it's just, it's, uh, it's it's a good payoff to just see where him and, and Suki end up and just see Saka become a natural and excellent soldier and leader. Like, mm. it happens... Did we not see that in season two, though? To, with him and Suki, we get that one episode... At that, I'm, I'm just talking about, like, the character of Saka, though. Did we not see that in season two, where he, like, shows himself to be a leader and a strategist and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, but he never got to really do it properly with... He, he he's always wanted to be a soldier and be like his dad. And this season, he especially the Day of Black Sun episodes, mm. he gets to lead from the front. And he has that moment where he tries to like do the battle plan and teach show the soldiers and yeah. he flubs it. He's just yeah. not a natural um, public speaker. Yeah. And even Aang's saying like, yeah, no one's good at that. Mm. Um, but then he gets to do it on the battlefield. He gets to be an excellent leader and show his smarts. And, and that's, I think, it, yeah, that is compelling. And yeah, yeah I, it was yeah, good I, to get there. I guess for me, for Saka, it's not more of like, oh, he's more of a strategist or more of a leader. It's just kind of like the way he handles those positions, which I think he has a natural aptitude for, is that he's just more of an adult. Yeah, totally. He's just become a bit of a grown-up, which is nice. Without being cliche and without being sexist, he is a man. You know, he has become, yeah, Yeah. the man he's always wanted to be. 
which is, is that awesome. sexist to call him a man? I don't know. I just feel no, it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> but like, it's sometimes an adult is maybe a better way of putting it. You yeah, know what right, I mean? I like the idea that he, if he were to be womanly, that would be not the same for some yeah, reason. That's you know what true. I mean? Yeah. Um, Toph. Toph doesn't really grow on this season. No, she doesn't. Toph just awesome. remains awesome. Yeah. <laughs> she's great. Her she commentary tries. during the Ember Island players is fantastic. It's literally my favorite moment of the show. Her face. So. Oh, to set this up, people who don't haven't watched it for some, go watch it. The all the other, so this play they're watching is there basically a retelling of their story so far. It's an extremely meta episode that I freaking love. It seems like something that I would hate, but I love it. It's, it's so, so funny. Yeah, it's incredible. And like I would like was belly laughing, yeah. not like ha I was like cackling on the couch. It was fantastic. It is, but it, I think it works because at this point you like and know the show so much, you like the characters so much that seeing them react to these versions that they're seeing, these hyper overdone versions of themselves on stage is so funny because yeah. it's, it is. And while they're the, over the top, there is such like an essence of truth that like if someone amazing. was like, oh, you are like that, you'd be like, what? No, I'm not. Because you just can't see it. Because, of course. Yeah, it's that little ab- absurd side of you that like you can never quite capture. Yeah, yeah. They just take their their sort of core characteristics to the nth degree, and it's really funny to watch the and to watch the characters. Like, I love that Saka is not upset that his character is a jokester. It's just he's not very good at the jokes. He's not funny enough. He's not funny so enough. So he has to write some material for the actor. And, and once gives he starts it doing it, he's just like he stoked it. about it. Um, I told him to say that. Yeah. So they're all having a whinge at the first act break mm. about the, how their character is being portrayed. And then they're like, here comes Toph. And Toph is this masculine, brawny guy. And everyone's like, see, Toph, this isn't yeah. this isn't very good. And she's like, my name's Toph because <laughs> like, I'm Toph. <laughs> and she's just like, "This, I couldn't have cast it better. This is exactly how I would have cast it. And there's a bit okay. where he they take her like feeling vibrations thing and yeah. like I produce a sonic wave yeah. I can see what's going around me and the guy just screams into the face of the others and the screen goes forever and everyone else is like cringing and Toph's face is just like this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> She's so into it. It's yeah. so good. Oh, I love it. That's yeah, a fantastic episode. So yeah, Toph doesn't grow. Toph just remains awesome. Yeah. She tries a couple of times to like this 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 thing that happens in the second half of the season once Zuko joins the group everyone gets like oh so a, a, like a life-changing field trip with Zuko, as Toph calls it. And Toph tries to force one. Toph <laughs> tries to force one. And it's just like, I'm going with woe, Zuko. Is me. <laughs> woe is me. My parents didn't love me. And he's yeah. like, yeah, your yeah. childhood sounds like it sucks, but yeah, I'm sorry, there's more important thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst field trip ever. That's great. That's it. That's, that's what yeah. she gets. She just gets to be the awesome metal bender. Yeah. You don't need to go Toph. What more could you need? No. No, Exactly. But she's a great addition. I love every time that she does something amazing and Saka's just like, I'm so happy we added you to the group. <laughs> um, so what's interesting about all of those, and even the next one actually, I think part of the reason also that season three can, for me, is great. And I know it's great, but it's not as overall interesting to me is because all of this stuff is payoff. All of this is getting to the point that we know these characters should get to. Mm-hmm. The third act can be a little bit more predictable. Like a good story. A story doesn't have to be surprising to be good, I don't think. Sometimes people think you need a twist to make mm-hmm. a story great. This story doesn't have many Something twists. Something can just be clear and satisfying. And satisfying and because it earned where it was getting mm-hmm. to. And Absolutely. this show gets it. And all of these payoffs, they earn all of them, I think, which mm-hmm. is great. I think that's why I love this season so much. Totally. because that's what I wanted and I got it and I loved it. Right. Yeah. But what I think is the... The downside of that is season two is more interesting because you're watching them 
how they get there. Mm-hmm. This is them getting there. But season two is like the low they had to get through to get mm-hmm. to this point of change. Yeah. And so season two just, it's the same reason. Well, there's a lot of reasons that Empire is better than Jedi, but it's one of the reasons that Empire is the best episode of the original trilogy of Star Wars is because where the most interesting stuff's happening to our characters. It's where Luke's learning to, you know, be a Jedi and he's failing at it and he's learning about the Force. It's where Han and Leia are starting to fall in love and you can see, you know, how that's going and they, they're they starting to realise and accept their feelings and stuff like that. It's just way more compelling than yeah. Luke wins and mm-hmm. Leia and Han get together because, of course, they're going to, yeah. but it's the getting there that's more interesting. Anyway. Yeah, I think... No, I, t- I totally agree with that, but the kind of viewer viewer I am is that... So the first, like, two seasons is that you're getting to know these people and you're growing to love them. And by season three, they've totally earned it. I completely love them. So I just want to know, like, where they go. I want to know the end of their story because I freaking love them so much. Sure. And that's... Yeah. You get that. I get that and it's wonderful. Zuko. Zuko... And there's no way around it. Zuko's story is the best story in the entire show. Yes, there's just no absolutely. way around it. It's so good. He is yeah. such an amazing redemption arc. Yeah. And so he ends last season having betrayed the Yang Gang and choosing to help Azula and go back to the Fire Nation. He betrayed like the one person who I- loved him Iroh. unconditionally. That's the important And bit. who always saw how wonderful he was and that there was always light there and that he had nothing to be ashamed of. And he turned his back on that person. And, and so, he has to live with that. Well, this is it. It doesn't take long for Zuko to realise that he he isn't this person, that he made a bad choice. And he goes to visit visit Iroh in his prison cell and Iroh turns his back on Zuko and Zuko gets... He's trying to apologise, but really all he wants is Iroh to talk to... Like, he wants Iroh to tell him that he's doing the wrong thing. He wants his guidance again. He can't get it, so he yells at Iroh and calls him an old fool and you're crazy and blah, blah, blah. And you can see that Zuko is just so frustrated himself. Mm-hmm. And then he has that episode, the um, the beach, I think it's called. Yes. Which is an interesting <laughs> episode as well, which is all about Zuko, Azula and Mei and Tai Lee. Yeah. Which is really interesting. They can just have this like teen comedy in the middle of it this. It has show. some of the best lines and best voice acting in the entire series, it is oh my notes for it. They're just Azula quotes. That's all it is. Grey Delisi, I believe, is the actress's mm. name who does Azula. She is so good in this role. She's fantastic. She is so funny. I just like imagine her in like the sound booth, just loving those lines because oh, they are delicious. Gold. Yeah, and she like there's a bit where they're like these awful bad guy, you know, supervillains almost. Like decide to play beach volleyball, and just the way that Azula like assesses situations. Like I see that she's kind of limping a little bit on that knee. I bet it's a childhood injury. If we attack her to that side with the ball, they'll you know we'll defeat them for all time. And she's like getting way over dramatic about it. Lights the net on fire. Oh. I just love when she first goes to this party that they're invited to, and she's talking to the host, and she's trying to compliment him. You're, oh yes. And she's like, yes. she's like, <laughs> yes. And the quote is. That's a sharp outfit, Chen. Careful, you could puncture the hull of an Empire-class Fire Nation battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea because it's so sharp. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like so somehow funny. her compliment has to turn into this like horrific <laughs> sea. Like, oh, it's so, yeah. so yeah. funny. Yeah, after they kiss and she's just like, together we will be the strongest couple in the entire world. We will dominate the earth. And he's just like, uh, just like I'm going to go inside. <laughs> yeah. His face is just like, this like, what the hell? 
Oh, anyway, but that's like, and then Zuko, getting back to the point, Zuko, <laughs> Zuko is like, he, he sort of, it comes out in him that he's angry. He's an angry person. Really, he's just angry at himself, the decisions he's made, which finally gets to the point where he decides to face his dad. He chooses the day of Black Sun, a day that he can't be... Lucky. Yeah, no, not lucky. Well, not he did lucky, it on purpose. Yes. But he confronts his father. His father calls him out and says he's a bit of a coward, says he's a bit of a coward for doing that, which... Screw you, Father Dozai. But, like, yeah. tells him... Some I'm, guy that, like, abuses his teenage son. Yeah, shouldn't be calling anyone a coward. Yeah. He uh, tells... Zuko tells Ozai, um, I'm leaving to join the Avatar and, you know, face my real destiny. I love the bit where he's like, ah, oh, your uncle got to you, didn't he? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he did. It's yeah, because, you know, he raised me like a human, you monster. Mm-hmm. And then when Ozai actually goes to kill him and shoots lightning at him... And then Zuko redirects it back. Oh, oh, so satisfying. Fantastic. And then you get the great bit where Zuko then has to go and join the Aang gang who, for all intents and purposes, for two and a half seasons have been enemies. And then, tr- like... He's been hunting them. What's, what's his thing? Hello, Zuko here. Whatever it is. <laughs> I love that scene where he's, like, practicing a way in which he can, yeah, introduce himself in some sort of normal way, as if that would ever be possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cute. He does a bit there where he tries to impersonate um, Iroh and Zula. You know, I said last episode that there was I a I know, bit I had a question about that. That I yeah. said that Dante Basco, Dante Basco wasn't that great a voice actor. Yeah. I was wrong. I take it back. Yeah, good. I, I think... Because after I watched, watched that episode... second time, he is excellent. Yeah, because after I watched that episode, I literally wrote in my notes, like, make sure you ask Broad exactly where he thinks that he's a bad voice actor. I take it back. I, th- I did... It was actually that part where he's, like, trained to impersonate Azula. He, but um, that's not fair. It's He's not good impersonations. The character says it himself. Mm-hmm. Even but if his that... His is pretty great. <clears throat> his is fine. But it's... But it's that's not the point. Him as Zuko is excellent. He is really, really great in this show. And I, I apologize. I take it back. I was wrong. Um, so that's just entertaining him trying to join the Aang gang. Then you've got all these episodes with Zuko, um, with Aang, and then with Sokka, and then with Katara, which are really interesting. And then... Fi- yeah, the second half of the season is very much just like the Zuko show. Well, it has to be. Yeah. They have to of get him to a point where he has joined the team. And mm-hmm. they... Yeah. And, and I think they know that's where their richest material is. And they utilize that, which is fantastic. Because then we finally get to one of the, the, the best and most satisfying moments in the entire show is when Zuko finally gets back to Iroh. And so... Um, I might have cried like a baby. I, I Every single time I'm I watch that scene. I'm tearing up just thinking about it now. I've watched that scene by itself on YouTube. Like... Like, go on and watch as that you clip. Should, <laughs> as you should. As you, just watch it by its, on its own. And it is so good. The, the emotional payoff. He walks in he into this tent and Ira's asleep. And he mm-hmm. just... Zuko just sits and waits. And then Ira wakes up. And pretty quickly, Ira knows he's there, but he turns away. And then... Uh, Dante, this, is where I, this is where I was like... I, I was wrong about Dante Basco. <laughs> and he starts just trying to to apologize and explain how wrong he was and how how ashamed he is of how he betrayed Iroh. And then Iroh doesn't say a freaking word. He just turns around and hugs him. I'm getting broken up thinking oh about God. it. And then it's like, and then Zuko says like, how could you forgive me so quickly? And he says, I was never mad. I was just sad because I was worried you'd lost your way. That's pretty much it. 
because I have the quote right in front of me. That's almost word for word. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I did lose my way, but now I found it again. And he's, uh, it was like uh, something about how I'm glad you found me. He's like, oh, it wasn't hard. You have a pretty strong sense. <laughs> that little joke, yeah. which is cute. But that fucking scene, just like that, that alone, that's, that is, that is worth the entire show to get to that moment. It's so satisfying. And not only is it beautiful for Zuko and to like realize that his uncle truly does love him unconditionally, but for Iroh to have a son that has the ability to return to him, mm. just, it broke my oh, soul a fuck, little bit. I don't bit. even think about it that yeah, way. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Holy <laughs> like, shit. I'm, I'm genuinely tearing up. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's, it's sad that it's really sad that Marco died, the original voice actor of Iroh, yeah. just because. Yeah. I also get the feeling in this season, as much as the, it's effective that Iroh doesn't get that much to talk about, that he was his role was probably minimised a little bit in this show, to some degree. Mm-hmm. The fact that he leaves the prison and then like just goes disappears. off and does his own thing. And we yeah. don't find him until the final four episodes. Because the uh, something that should be made clear is the final four episodes are, it's a four-parter. And it's pretty much like a mini movie. It is when it yeah. was originally on. It was a mini movie. Yeah, right. It was okay. it was shown as a, essentially a TV movie, mm. and so you get the feeling that that moment might have happened later. We might have got a little bit more Iroh and a little bit more time to really have that moment as powerful as it is. Might have even got to be a bit media in a different version where they weren't working around the fact they had a different voice actor. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just but may I say that, like the voice actor slash actors, I'm not sure exactly who do take over the role. Mm. Certainly did uh Marco Brad. Oh yeah, yeah. he he's really good. Yeah. It, I, I think you can tell that it's not the original actor. Absolutely, yeah. But it's true to the original performance, and it's mm-hmm. true to the character. It's yeah. there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's very very good. Um, but yeah, you you wonder if that might have been a bit different another version of the show but that's neither here nor there that's not a criticism or anything yeah i certainly don't feel like we were it was less than or missing something one of the things that what is interesting is that iris is in that scene what he's really proud of is that zuko ended up getting there by himself and that is one of the positives of iris being in this episode this season less is that zuko has to do it by himself he can't do it with the guidance he was given throughout the first two seasons and that is in itself you know so i think you know whether it was because of um, the death of the voice actor or whatever, I think when Iroh does turn his back on Zuko, I think it's a great example of Iroh giving Zuko exactly what he needs. Totally. Which is time to think and reflect on like his decisions and who he is actively deciding to be. Yeah. Yeah. Making him get to those conclusions mm-hmm. rather than, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that moment is fucking incredible and it is it alone is worth watching the show for. I'm sorry if you haven't wa- if you haven't watched the show and you've just listened to this spoiler. It's your own fault. We warned you. I don't mm. feel sorry for you at all. Finally, the last character I want to talk about is Azula, because she has a really interesting season as well. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Um, for a lot of it, she just is sort of there, being the. I mean, she's being the you know the bad guy, the hench woman, whatever. But then she has these really poignant moments. The beach one is a really interesting one. We sort mm-hmm. of learn. That she maybe has a little bit of a crack in her facade when it comes to her mother and how her mother treated her. But even that seems to be... Well, that's the thing. I think she does have the ability to... I'm not sure if it is to feel or to at least understand feelings. Because she says, my mother thought I was a monster. Yeah. Um... And sure, it was true. It's, you She's know. like, yeah, she was right, of course. She was right, of course. But it still hurt. But it still hurt. Yeah. Um, 
so I think she, there's clearly like, I don't know if sociopath is the right word or She's, psychopath or whatever it might be, but it, that, that episode, there's clearly a giant like mental block in which she simply, she doesn't quite, and I think the beach is a great example. She doesn't quite understand human interaction. You've human had people. May, Ty human Lee. Human people, that's, <laughs> I'm an idiot, I'm sorry. May and Ty Lee and Zuko have all sort of had these big emotional moments and hers is superficial at best. And we just learned that she is, yeah, as you said, she is just lacking something, some humanity that the other characters have. Yeah. Um, this then moves on to a point where May chooses to save Zuko at and come between her, between Zuko and Azula, or Azula capturing Zuko essentially, or killing him maybe even at that point. I think she was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Later on she talks about she's going to kill Zuko. Anyway, and then so May has betrayed Azula. Azula has two people in the world that she trusts basically, and that was May and Ty Lee. Mm-hmm. And they both piss yeah. off on her after that. She's lost yeah. her... The only two people she cares about or trusts, maybe is better yeah. word for it. And I think, you know, she even says, um, she you know, talks quite openly about how fear is the only thing you can trust in that kind of thing. But I think in that moment with May and Tylee and also towards the end of the season, she learns that like fear is only a great tool, but uh, fear, sorry, fear is a great tool, but it's completely dependent on the strength of those around you. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for her, she has actually surrounded herself with incredibly strong people. And so it doesn't necessarily work. And I think that's incredibly frustrating for her. Well, then what happens, and this is where things start to really unwind for Azula. She, the Fire Lord decides that he is going to, yeah, burn the Earth Kingdom. He's going to... I think he talks about like setting the world afire and then from the flames, the the new Phoenix world. Shall rise. He's going to become the Phoenix King. So the idea of the Fire Lord, he passes that mantle to her. And so all of a sudden she has a lot of power, but she's got no one around her anymore. She starts with this power. She starts getting banishing everybody around her, like yeah. distrusts everybody and starts losing her mind to the point where she has visions of her mother um, who's telling her that she loves her and that, you know, uh, and then starts cutting her own hair and just goes manic. And it is, she, it's creepy and awesome. I love there's, where they go yeah, with Azula. A huge amount of like frustration and self-loathing mm. involved in who Azula is. And control is so important. Which Control course, is the right which word. Of course, it must be when you're, when you've grown up in an environment, when it, any moment the people that like should love you the most will like take your life for power of course like you are constantly going to want control and control Mm. over everyone around you and then to have finally gained it but to feel empty and have nothing around you which is what Zuko experienced earlier but obviously he was a a clearer mind sort of way through it but when she's, you know, has... He was also lucky to have Iroh. Well, exactly, just... yeah. And whereas she, like, didn't even really have her mother because she couldn't quite connect with people. Um, yeah, she just loses her mind and she doesn't, I don't think, quite understands the point because she has power, but then what? She has to live with herself. And I think it's pretty clear that she hates herself. And yeah. that's a big chunk of reality to deal with. Azula is just a very interesting and compelling villain that she's someone who is so, can be so maniacal, ha, 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 ha. Like you think, you talk about those funny Classic moments. Classic villain. Classic villain. We, we talk about those crazy moments in the beach where she's just 
you know, off a rocker, yeah, classic supervillain sort of thing. But she's really interesting because we do get inside her psyche, which is great. We don't get that for the Fire Lord. Um, and that doesn't matter that much, I don't think, because it's more about Aang and what he needs to do anyway. Mm. Um, and we, we do get that stuff with Zuko to some degree. But again, it's more about Zuko. Azula in her own right is an interesting character. And I think that's really cool. Um, it did just occur to me as well, something I loved about Zuko's story is how at the end of it, it feels like his destiny is to defeat Azula, but actually his destiny was to sacrifice himself to yeah. protect Katara. Katara yeah. um, his whole thing in the middle of season two was learning to lightning bend. He uses it like three times. The last one to... Azula's going to kill Katara in this when he sh- she should be attacking Zuko. He jumps in the way and saves Katara. And that he takes himself out, self-sacrifices, which is incredible. And then allows Katara to take out Azula. Yeah. Katara's a fucking badass. Yeah, she is. I mean, I think that moment of Zuko is perfectly symbolic of one of the great ideas of this entire series is empathy and getting to understand other people. Yes. And that's exactly what he's utilising. He's protecting this young girl, teenage girl, um, and he is using the knowledge of who she is of her culture to not only save her, but ultimately like save himself um, and to regain his honor. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a beautiful moment for Zuko. I wanted to bring up that this is a less serialized season. We've already talked about that. So that's fine. I want to talk about payoff. Is there anything you want to add to that? We think we talked about that a bit already that this season is all about payoff. It's all about um, how the big ideas and each character and the arcs all get, an ending, and that's what's great about this season is we just get to a point. It ends. This isn't going to. It doesn't need a season four. It doesn't need to linger. We don't. There might be questions at the end of this, sure, but we don't need to go there because there's been so much payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's really important to to say, and that's great that the show can have so much payoff. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I want to bring up the idea of deus ex machina now. Go for it. So if you're not familiar with the idea of deus ex machina, I'm going to give probably a, a bad version of this, but I'll try and explain it. I believe deus ex machina translates to the God machine as essentially the idea that in um, traditional plays, Shakespearean ones, you'll see this sometimes, maybe even like Greek plays and stuff like that as well, that gods would literally descend from the ceiling or or enter the play and like change the outcome or affect the outcome of a story sometimes. And this is the idea of deus ex machina appears in a lot of stories where an outside influence is going to dictate how something ends. 
um, or, or is going to influence how a story ends. This happens in this season and it's probably my biggest criticism of the entire show. We were talking earlier about how Aang's big dilemma is whether he can kill the Fire Lord or not. Yeah. He needs a solution that's not killing him. He ultimately gets one when sitting, meditating on Ember Island, he walks into the sea, an island appears, he communes with some of the other past avatars and then realizes he's on the back of a giant lion turtle, has a brief discussion with it. The lion turtle set gives him the power to bend the energy in people and then Aang uses that at the ultimately to not kill Ozai but to take away his bending. It's an excellent solution to that problem but it's a solution that comes out of freaking nowhere. Yeah. It literally shows up in what is, if you consider the last four episodes, one giant episode in the last episode of the show. How do we feel about that? Well, I was just going to say that I don't necessarily mind the lion turtle so much. I just really wish that we had a bit more time with it. That's all. It's, um, it's so brief. Because brief. as, yeah, um, I had a little side note with Brod then. I There is an episode um, in it in one of the seasons of Korra in which the lion turtle is there. And we get a bit of backstory there. And, it, you know, um, if I maybe had had that or something akin to that put somewhere within the season or within this episode, that would have been nice. Korra has, has that this episode you're talking about retroactively makes this work a lot better. Yeah. But in the season... As it is, and in the story of Avatar, well, yeah, and Korra came it's years later. Totally out of nowhere. Yeah. And which is such a shame because so much of Aang's confusion um, about being who he is and fulfilling his role as Avatar was about that conflict between nonviolence and violence. And to have an outside source be. Oh, here's a solution. Here the, it is. Yeah, to be the solution. It, it's really frustrating. I, I like I, it. It is. If you take it for what it is, it's satisfying because it gets Aang to the place he needs to be. It gives him his option, and it still yep. doesn't come easily. Though I think that's sort of like laboured as well. The way that it happens is that in flashback, while he's doing it, the lion turtle explains that he's giving him the power to energy bend and to take away the bending, but also that if your spirit is, you know, you, to do what your spirit must be unbendable, to bend someone else's spirit, yours must be unbendable. And so it adds this out of nowhere sort of like jeopardy that, I think that, that didn't need to be there. I think that would have been more powerful if the Lion Turtle and Ang had had a bit more of a conversation and he had clearly marked out before he had started the battle state, if like... Who you are, your own power is not completely solid. Yeah. And you have complete faith in who you are, you will be lost forever. The avatar will be lost forever. You will be gone and you will fail. Mm. If I if that weight had been put on us as viewers before we then see Aang fight, then go into the avatar state and you know it's coming. So I think that would have been more powerful it, to it, know that like he he knows it and he's actually like, he could be sacrificing himself in that way. This is the problem with endings, right? Endings are so complicated because there are so many choices you can make to make it work or not work. Mm. A lot of my favorite stories have endings that are that are compromised in some way. I think of Harry Potter and the whole thing with the wands. I've never loved this whole Elder Wand thing where Harry was actually the spoilers for Harry Potter, where 
Harry was actually the owner of the Elder Wand because he was the one who disarmed Draco because Draco was the one who actually disarmed Dumbledore and blah, blah, blah. It's so complicated and and it doesn't doesn't mean anything, that whole thing. It's just there to make things, I don't know, more, I don't know, more complex in some way. So this, these things, and I still love the ending of Harry Potter because emotionally it's satisfying. It's just that plot-wise can be a little bit overwrought there. Mm. This is similar. I think they've made some interesting choices by choosing to have the flashback tell us, by keeping it a mystery, essentially, that or keeping it untold to the audience that Aang has the power at this stage to bend, to take away Ozai's bending. It means that his choices to not kill Ozai are mean more because if we knew that he had had the power to to take away his bending then we know why he's doing it we know why he's still not killing ozai but because we don't know that every time he doesn't kill ozai we're like hang what you have to do something here what are you going to do well i think that can be worked out if you know it's explained that in order to take away his bending he has to be like close enough to touch him and then if every time ang is like an inch or like seconds away from dying, Ozai is out of reach and he could just kill him if he wanted to from a distance. But he can't and he can't get close enough. If to he was do. really beaten down, if yeah. he Yeah, was really beaten down, then he shoots lightning like, and he redirects like, it and he still chooses to push it the other way. Yeah. yeah, sure, something like that would happen. But I understand why they made that choice. But then it does make that moment where he's like, Oh yeah, by the way, if you do this and you fuck it up, you'll die. Not nearly as compelling is as you said, if we knew it in advance. Now we understand he's got this power. We understand his plan, but there's jeopardy to do it mm. that goes along with it. Yeah. So I don't think there's a perfect solution. I think they kind of pay themselves to a bit of a corner yeah. there. Do I hate the ending though? Not, not, at, at, all. All. not at, not at all. all. Not at all. And that's, no. I just think it's, it's worth pointing out that Deus Ex Machina is not it an... It plays I, its part it, in this story. It, yeah. it plays its part. And if you don't like that, then it's, it is flawed. And I think it is a flawed ending because of that. It's still a great ending. Something else I gotta just mention about the ending as well that I didn't love. Yeah. The, this whole season after Katara, sorry, after Zula shoots Aang with lightning while he's in the Avatar state, and he hasn't been able to, uh, hasn't been able to access the Avatar state this entire season because his chakras are blocked off. What solves that? A rock hits his scar. <laughs> I find that really like that's not that's not an emotional or not a satisfying. Uh, mm. outcome to that problem. He all of a sudden is just, he, he gets pushed into a rock. It hits the spot on his body where the lightning hit and then he's able to access the avatar state all of a sudden. It's what's okay about it is that the avatar state was never going to fix his problem anyway. He had to, because in the avatar state, he was just going to kill him. So that still doesn't solve Aang, Aang's problem, but it does give him a lot of power that he didn't have access to all of a sudden. It's very just like, Oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Lucky you got him right on that angle. Right yeah. in that spot. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree. With, with no that. explanation for why that, that yeah. even worked. Yeah, I, I mean, they, I feel like me. they could have explained it if, like, in the past, maybe, like, through their training, whatever it might have been, they saw that, like, if anyone, like, touches Aang or if anything goes near that spot, that is so traumatic for him because, you know, he pretty much, you know, he died. If anything goes near that, he either becomes incredibly angry or... Or gets on the verge of going to the Avatar state, or like it's it's just genuinely traumatic, and he doesn't want anyone to touch him there or to go. They almost kind of do that in episode one. Katara's healing it, and he sort of mm. like flips out a little bit, but it's just it's Isn't minor. Like, oh yeah, that's the spot because the chi's yeah. so blocked there. Yeah. 
Is that the explanation that the the chi that's blocked in there has been released? Is that what? Maybe I don't know. It's unclear. It's still it's it's unclear which the which is the problem. Yeah. Um. So I think those those are my two biggest criticisms, and they're worth yeah, especially the Deus Ex Machina stuff. Um. What about you? Do you have any major criticisms? Well, I didn't when we first sat down, but then as we were like talking about them, I think I just like naturally brought them up. Um, so no, I, I actually don't have any in my notes. Okay, cool. So yeah. Um, something I just want to do that's a little bit of fun as well, comparing the show from its first episode to its last episode and how the show has changed, what has changed, what's gotten better, what's gotten worse, and more importantly, what stayed the same. Um, I think it's really interesting to, it's always interesting to finish the series and then go back and watch episode one because the show is so, it's Oh, it's the same. They're the same characters. There's nothing... It's the same world. Everything's there. But they come so far. And that's what makes it so satisfying is that there is so much growth. The show, animation-wise, is vastly superior in the last season. It looks great. There are some Fantastic. truly stellar moments, particularly that epic finale. It's freaking crazy. That battle between Azula and Zuko is so beautiful. The, it's gorgeous. The music... The, there's a there's a real they hold back on the sound effects. It's you, you can still hear what's going on to some degree, but it's more this very slow, somber song that's playing underneath. It is so mature and outside the realms of what this kids show should be doing. It's so excellent that scene, and then even the big battle stuff, just with the Fire Nation burning the Earth Kingdom, and like you can. You can almost feel the heat. It's so terrifying. The yeah. sound of it, mm-hmm. this sound yeah. is so and even scary. Is like, wow, that's a lot of fire, isn't it? She can't see it, but she yeah. can freaking feel mm-hmm. it that it's and hear that's it. That's crazy. Sweet, sweet radiant heat. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, and th- so many of these battle sequences. That one, especially with Zuko and Azula, though, yeah, is so impressive. That has improved far and away. The show is incredibly funny. The way it uses its comedy is way more effective. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else in particular you can think of that stands out about what's changed? The, the kitty tone is, it's not gone. It's just, there is a real mature. Well, and I think that's a natural change because when we meet our characters, they're children. It reminds and, me of Harry Potter again. You think yeah. of what, it's a lot like Philosopher's Stone versus mm-hmm. Deathly yeah. Hallows. That's the thing, like they've experienced so much that if their characters have changed slightly or there's a tonal shift, it's because of what's in the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's so fun. I highly recommend re-watching the show. It's really rewarding um, to go back and look at it again and to, I, like I said, this is my third or fourth time through. I'm still finding things and going, oh, wow, this is so well done. This is so, so good. Um, a couple of side notes I think are worth talking about. Uh, I love the episode, The Avatar and the Fire Lord, which is the episode that goes into the backstory of Avatar Roku, the previous Avatar before Aang and Fire Lord Sozin, who is the Fire Lord that started the Hundred Year War. And you find out that they were best friends. Mm. That not only were they best friends, they ended up... So, they Zuko ends up sharing both having some blood from the Avatar line and from the Fire Lord line, which makes him sort of a combination of the two, which is really interesting. It's a cool place to end that, um, to, to go with that story. But just finding out how the Hundred Year War started and the, the things that Roku 
the mistakes that Roku made. I had a question about that, actually. Sure. Um, in that episode, so Roku is on his little island home and the volcano erupts and Sosin sees this and then flies over to help him. Mm-hmm. Why did he then, like, I don't understand the desire to go and help and then to be like, oh, actually, I don't... So he's helping he's helping Roku to save all the people on the island, right? Mm. He's not just saving Roku, he's saving everyone that lives there. You can see there's a bunch of people that live there. Right. And then what he sees, I think, is an opportunity where when everyone's safe, Roku is basically dead anyway. He does a bit of a Walter White and says, I'm going to choose to not save you because this is going to work out way better for me. I just don't understand if he's like such an awful person, why he wouldn't just let them all die, including like like I, Roku. I, I think he's still, I don't think he's an awful person. No, I think he still thinks he's a, well, I think he's an awful person, but I don't think, I think he still thinks of himself as a leader who wants to protect and the Fire Nation and Prosper, he goes and helps a bunch of Fire Nation citizens. That's in his interest. Right, okay. Roku normally would be, but he's got to a point where they're not talking really. He comes and helps him because it's in both their interests, but once it's just Roku's life, eh, it's not anymore for him. Right. It's more in his interest to let it go. It makes Sozin a complex and maybe flawed character, maybe not. Yeah, no, I clearly miss that, you know, because when I was watching it, I thought that everyone had made it clear because we see them in the boats yeah the island, everyone else and then, got away um Sozin and, and Roku were there still battling together yeah um one I didn't understand why Roku was still there fighting a volcano like what's the point um I think maybe theoretically they're trying he's trying to save as much of the island as he can whether people have possessions and stuff there I'm not really sure maybe he didn't know that everyone was gone yet maybe he's like mm. the more I control this the less likely there to be casualties he can't necessarily know that everyone's off the island at that stage yeah right yeah I don't know for some reason you didn't find that satisfying it, it, no it seems I like the idea of it um yeah I don't know it seemed a little bit murky and then I was like yeah I don't know I just I guess the point really more than anything was that I love that that the show gives us it'd be so easy to just say that the hundred year war Started and has been going yeah. for a hundred years. I, I so mean, I really loved knowing more about the history. I really did enjoy that. Yeah, I think that's cool that the show can and go there. I enjoy once again. We spoke about this in season two about how the history of the world informs our characters in the present of the show, and yeah. how they use that to inform their choices. I really, really enjoy that. Well, where the show ends up is really interesting. You have. The Avatar Aang and Fire Lord Zuko. This is a yeah. reflection of Full where... Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. And they're mates now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, ha- did you notice that the Fire Nation army is very equal opportunity? There are so many female... I'm telling you, like, Fire Nation, like, pro-ladies. And Water Ooh. Tribes, not a huge fan of the ladies. Yeah, it's true. Fire yeah. Lord, are way- Fire Nation is way more progressive when mm-hmm. it comes to... Uh, yeah. Oh, did, equal opportunity. speaking of equal opportunity, um, when Iroh is in prison, and I know what you're going to say, yeah, here. and one of his jailers is a lovely young woman voiced by Serena, Serena Williams, Williams. <laughs> which is interesting. She does that. She has an episode in, in Core as well. well. Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't I, I, I don't know what the story is there. Is she well, just a massive fan? Well, that's the thing, because I want to know, like, why is Serena Williams in just one episode of Avatar? Because at that point, they didn't know Cora was going to be a thing. Um, and it's just because it's her favourite show. Oh, yeah. I, How I, good's that? I have so much respect for Serena Williams, <laughs> knowing that. Yeah. Australia, yeah. I mean, did not care for her tennis career, but now <laughs> that she's an Avatar, love her. Big fan, big fan. <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was really interesting. I just mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome how often there were like there would just be like two guards and one of them would be sometimes they there would be two female guards and it'd be, yeah. it just it just was that way. Mm-hmm. And I just I wonder if it was a choice they decided to make in season three because we I didn't notice that in the other seasons they were like why don't we have like there's just never a moment in the Earth Kingdom where I can think of where I'm seeing a female oh, soldier. Oh, in the Earth Kingdom, yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember certainly that not in the Water Tribe, but that's back in season one. Like you said, they're a sexist yeah. race apparently. <laughs> But I think in this season, so much of it is spent in the Fire Nation mm. that, um, yeah, I just, I guess they maybe, I don't think it's because they think the Fire Nation specifically is more equal opportunity. I just think it's that they. Um, I think the Fire Nation to responds that. to people who are strong and powerful and like sex is not an issue. I mean, look at Azula, like the Fire Lord is happy for totally. her to be his heir. That's a non-issue. Yeah. What did you, th- just on that as well, what did you think about Parku marrying Grand Grand? <laughs> After we were talking about how, like, doesn't make any... You were, like, criticised the idea yeah. that he would sort of, like, bend to Katara as well. You didn't think that made sense to you? That he'd show up and she'd go, oh, yeah, I'll marry you now. I mean, oh, yeah. I guess... He was trying to be cute. I guess he clearly had some sort of... Um, what's... Revelation. Yes. About women. I don't... I mean, yeah, it was cute, but... I'd, I mean, I don't like Paku. <laughs> I don't like a man who is like, um, what's when not, yeah, suppressed the women in his culture and community sure. for his entire life. I don't, I don't find him particularly compelling. Um, this, we've already talked about the Zuko field, Zuko field trip episode, so I don't think we need to go that anymore. The Ember Island players, have we said enough about that episode? Just how fantastic awesome. and meta that one yeah. is. It's like if you appre- again, if you appreciate the show and you appreciate writing. I love, I think something we talked about before the show, I love that there's a moment, your, I think both our least favourite episodes in season one is The Great Divide. Yeah, I've, we both decided on that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And there's a moment, you you turned me around on it, but there's a moment where they're like, oh, look, this is in the play. Look, it's The Great Divide, the biggest canyon in the Earth Kingdom. Let's fly over yeah. it. And it's just like, <laughs> so it's the writers saying, yeah, we don't like that yeah, episode we either. yep. I love it. Yeah, it's good. So good. Do you have any other particular side notes you want to get to? Um, oh, I just have a question for you. Sure. Um, I love it how I'm like the expert on Avatar in this show. It's great. Well, yeah. It's because I don't know how to use Google, apparently. Um, so, in the episode where Aang is having all of his anxiety dreams. Yes. Um, and he imagines himself wearing different clothes and sure. stuff. Sure, yep. They're different anime characters, right? I don't think it's... I, I didn't recognize them as any specific anime right. characters. I think what they are going for there is a very anime oh, thing. Okay, they right. are going... You're like... They are using some anime tropes, the big hair and like the gi and stuff like that. Right, that sort of okay. like like Goku would wear or something right, like that. I wasn't sure if there was like some sort of reference that I was meant to be getting that I wasn't. I think it's just general like they were going for really over the top anime type yeah, stuff. Right. They were trying to nod towards that, but nothing in nothing specifically as far as I'm aware. Right. I want, well, this season in a lot of ways is more mature than mm-hmm. previous seasons. 
Um, and this includes developing romantic relationships. Sure. And I want... I was going to bring this up too. This is good. <laughs> I want to know how you feel about the relationship of Aang and Katara. I don't really buy it. Me either. I, I buy that Aang is definitely into Katara. There's no doubt about yeah. it. I don't buy that Katara has no. any real... I don't get it. And I've been I've read some of the comics that come afterwards and like where they it pretty much starts from the end of the show and it's like they're just super cute coupley. Like they have pet names for each other, like sweetie and stuff like that. And I'm always like mm, yeah, I just don't I get don't it. Like Katara's it. just more I don't know. I I get why people are for Zutara. Mm. Like the shipping I mean, that's the whole and Draco thing, yeah. Totally, but except Draco doesn't end up having the redemptive arc that no, Zuko no, 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 has. All. It's all about like, yeah, the every teenage girl's like a dream is like the bad boy who like sees the error in his ways and like values the good girl. But the thing is, the Katara. What makes it more compelling, I think, is that what this season proved is that Katara does have a darkness in her too, which yeah. makes them more compatible. Mm-hmm. I it's. I like I like the moment where Aang in the Ember Island players like <laughs> kisses her and she's like, well, I just told you I'm confused. Oh, yeah, that was great. And then and she's like, I think it's fair to think that she might she might like Aang in an era where she's not so just dealing with all this other heavy war stuff they're going through. But I don't know. I don't think there's enough. They, they go to it a couple of times. They're sweet scenes, but it's just, I just, it's never all that. Compelling. I, yeah, I don't think it's something that at the age that these characters are, particularly, you know, the fact that Katara's 14 and Aang is 12. Yeah. And they've gone through so much that, like, we need to Haven't end it Haven't you seen on Star Wars Episode 1? She's, like, 14. <laughs> he's, like, 8 or something. It doesn't matter. Sexy. <laughs> mm. um, no, I just, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's fine to end that, you know, open-ended and that, like, we can still see them in that final scene where they're standing side by side and they clearly, like, have a lot of respect and love for each other. I don't think we need to lean so hard on the romance between these two children. Does it... How do you feel that in the first... Um, this is spoilers a bit for Kata- for Cora. It's mm. set 70s in the future at this stage. We're, now we can now talk about this a little properly because we're at the end of this show. We know by the end of the first episode that Katara and Aang stayed together for their entire lives. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That never really worked for me. I mean, I could have... It works for me if in Avatar they didn't get together right then and then like they just continued to be like really genuine lovely friends until they were older and then realized that like they loved each other that makes more sense than like oh let's like start dating when we're 12 and 14 and stay together forever that's a bit silly the the comics I'm going really off track for a second the comics are really interesting I haven't read all of them I'm a bit behind on them but there was an ele- there was something that was going on where Suki was ended up being a bodyguard for Zuko, and it kind of felt like the show was suggesting that maybe Zuko and Suki get Wait, together. This is in the comics. This is in the comics that maybe Zuko and Suki get together. Right, and that gave me hope that maybe Saka and Toph got together because I could totally see that. I think that would be great because something we do find out in Korra is that Toph has two or three children, might be two children, two children. With different fathers, With right? different fathers. And, yeah. and we don't know who they are. And I love that. That Toph kind of never could be pinned down with one particular person. Mm-hmm. And that Saka might be one of them. I, think, like, I like the idea of Toph and Saka. Like, obviously not in Avatar because that's weird. But in the future, like... They had a they, fling? 
they she yeah they pregnant. had a fling, but like baby. Toph could never tolerate suckers. No. Like, idiocy. There's no way that could happen. But like, I like the idea of them having like a kid together. That's quite cute. Well, yeah. If yeah, like maybe not, definitely not in Wedlock or whatever. But no, 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 she no. keeps the kid because she wants to, and I don't think he'd be a deadbeat dad. He'd still support it. But I don't know. I just find that stuff really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Fun to think about. Mm. Anyway, that's getting ahead of ourselves. Go watch Cora now. Now that you've watched Avatar, yep. go watch Cora. Then because we'll, eventually when we do talk about it, you can enjoy those episodes too. I'm so excited to talk about Cora. I don't know when we'll do it, but we'll get there one day. I know. I know it I won't know. be next. We'll we'll give you a rest. Okay. Let's get to the Jedi comparisons. Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. I'll admit, this season, it probably has the least direct comparisons to its equivalent movie in Star in the original Star Wars trilogy. There's not as many. Not as many blatant Sucker ones. Sucker does make his own sword, though. Sucker does make his mm. own sword. That is a good one that wasn't <laughs> in my list. I like it. Much like Luke makes his green lightsaber, which is my favourite lightsaber in the series as well. Um, I love the space sword, too. I just... It's cool. It's cool. It's a great concept. Um... Okay, here are the things that I can think of that, that are comparable. There's a big confrontation between father and sons. That's an obvious one. Uh, the redemption story completes with the redeemed sacrificing himself to allow for victory. So, in the sense that Vader puts himself, uh, he throws the Emperor off the edge of the thing and that he kills him. Well, he, he dies in the process of that. Um, Zuko doesn't die, but he puts his life in danger for the sake of Katara. That's a big part of his redemption, ultimate mm-hmm. redemption, which is good. Uh, the bad guys are in pos- possession of world-destroying superpowers <laughs> and they, they need to stop that from happening. The good guys do. There's the internal battle of our heroes. So Luke is dealing with sort of dabbling with the dark side. and He's fighting off the dark side. Aang is trying everything he can to avoid uh, killing Philo Ozai. There are simultaneous battles taking place in the finale. So in Return of the Jedi, you've got on the Death Star with the Emperor and Luke and Vader. You've got Han and Leia on uh, the Endor moon and you've got the rebels in space trying to destroy the Death Star. In this, in Avatar, you've got Aang versus the Fire Lord, Zuko and Katara versus Azula, uh, Sarka, Suki and Toph taking out the airships. And then you've got the White Lotus, which we haven't talked about at all, mm-hmm. um, who are trying to take back Ba Sing Se. Can I talk about, quickly... That by the way, that oh, and there's a re- resolution of the love story. That's it. That's all the comparisons. It's not as compelling. Yeah, it's in this definitely one. not as compelling no. for the no. final season. Empire and season two are much more comparable, I think. Mm-hmm. Talk about that for a second. Something that happens in season two. Boomy lets himself be captured and stay captured. Yeah. In Omashu. Yeah. There in Omashu, <laughs> because he's going to wait for the. He, need, he thinks he needs to wait. He's something he needs to wait for mm-hmm. and then he'll do it. In, right, wait for the right moment, whatever that means. Right. And so in this season, we find out that what he did is he waited till the eclipse and then he took his city back. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why that's better. That's months that go by where Ba Sing Se is under Fire Nation control. Surely it would have been better to try and defend the city at the time and keep it from the firebenders and let his people stay in their homes. I'm not, I, I think that was an idea that they wasted or they didn't really know what they're going to do with. Right. That... The only reason it's there is so that Boomy can't be his earthbending teacher so that Toph can do it. Which is fine. I'm glad mm. that's the case because yeah. Toph is who needs to do it. But it's just like, eh, it could have been. Didn't really pay off. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, no, I didn't have a huge does. opinion about it. Yeah. I just find that a bit frustrating. But I do like the idea of the White Lotus in general. That was something that was had been hinted at through the entire series. Through as yeah. early as season one when um, Ira loses his Lotus Pie Show tile. That it's not 
a major part of the show, but it's cool to see some of these characters that we've that are you know we've seen in previous episodes come back and participate. Uh, yeah, in. and I think it's also just nice to see that there are people all over the world that share the same values as the Ang gang. That's a good point. And are willing to fight the good fight. There are others beyond just our main core trio who who don't see their borders and boundaries mm-hmm. in the same way that other people do yeah. and can work together for the sake of the world as a whole, not just yeah. for their own nation's interest. That is a good point. I did like that as well. Uh, and I'm also, right- I just like when Boomy says, didn't you know that all old people know each other? One of the lines that came up that I immediately thought of you is episode three, The Painted Lady, and Saka goes, my fishing skills are off, off the, the hook. hook. I instantly thought of you. Good, thank you. Feels really like mm. <laughs> okay, I think I think it's enough. Have you got anything else in particular that we're um, burning to talk about before we uh, start wrapping this up? I just want to ask you now that we're at the end of Avatar, because um, it's such a like stunning show to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know what your favorite like setting, town, city, whatever it might be was. Setting. Oh, that's mm. a good question. Because, um, I, I mean, I've previously spoken about, which is my favourite, which was the Northern Water Tribe, which as soon as I saw it, I was like, ooh, I want to go there. Actually, one that I really like the visual visually that I love is the Western Air Temple. Mm. Where I, I, That was my note for that episode. I was like, oh, my God, they've done it again. It's such a fantastic design. The idea is that it's like built into a cliff face and the buildings hang off the cliff um, from underneath Mm -hmm. the cliff. It's like they've been carved like into the mountain upside down. It's fantastic. Which I believe might even be based on a real place. It is, yeah. Um, And it's – I just love the idea though. I love that that's – yeah, that makes sense that that's where uh, the air nomads would build – might build a place. Mm -hmm. I think it's just – that's really cool. That's – the one that comes to mind. I, there's a lot of them that are pretty cool, though. I like a lot of the... Um, the st- I, lo- I, I like what's interesting, actually. When they do the invasion, you get to really see the, how the palace is built into like the middle of this volcano as well. That's mm. really interesting yeah. setting. Uh, the the Fire Nation Palace, I should say. Um, yeah, it's probably... It's probably my, my, my favourite is the Western Air Temple, I think, off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Cool. Anything else? No, that's, that's it, I think. All right, let's start wrapping this up. Favorite and least favorite episodes, starting with your favorite episode, Damask. I actually have two favorites. I really try. That's against the rules. I couldn't help it. I'm going to help you decide which one. You tell me what you two are. Um, So the first one is episode five, The Beach. Yep. And the second is episode 11, The Day of Black Sun Part 2. Why The Day of Black Sun Part 2? Because we have that beautiful moment of Zuko's in which he finally stands up to his father mm-hmm. and he finds his own self-worth and that he has the power to choose his own destiny and does. And because I love Zuko so much, that's why. And the beach for you, why the beach? Uh, it has probably my favourite dialogue of the entire series. Okay. Which is Azula's. So you find the most entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I th- can tell you the flaws in both of those episodes. Mm-hmm. The flaw I have in the beach is that I find the bit around the fire really, really clunkily written. Yeah. I don't find that, like I think the rest of the episodes are really entertaining, but mm-hmm. the emotional bit it tries to get to at the end, it's serviceable. There's nothing wrong with it. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's as 
I know it just forces these emotional moments out of these four characters or three of them anyway. Yeah. That I don't as good. I think Zuko's one is the payoff, and I love that moment where he's just I'm angry at myself, and the fire goes up. Yeah. It's worth the May and Tylee's ones being a little bit clunky to get to that moment. But that'd be my major criticism of the episode. The Day of Black Sun. The problem I have with those two episodes, I find them for our main characters to not be that compelling. Especially during the battle, they become very. There's a battle going on here, and it's like this is the battle that's taking place. We're going to cut to this is what the waterbenders are doing. This is what the earthbenders are doing. This is what blah blah blah. Zuko's stuff is way more interesting. Actually, you're right. Day of Black Sun two is more interesting when they meet Azula and Azula is stalling, and then she manipulates Saka really well expertly by mentioning, "Oh, my favorite prisoner likes to talk about you," mm. and like baits him with Suki. That's oh, so sad. I think. That's yeah, great. I wrote quite a few expletives when Azula is facing him. So with Suki. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I like those episodes a lot. I just find them very like functional for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly when they're, but maybe that's more Day of Black Sun Part 1. Day of Black Sun Part 2. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I can see the argument for both there. I haven't helped you decide at all, no, have I? No, you haven't. You've done absolutely nothing. I'm sorry. Do you want to... I'll, I'll tell you mine. Yeah, okay. So my favourite episode, again, it's similar to last season, I don't think is necessarily the best episode of the show. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, love and adore the Sarka's Master episode, the the Zeppo episode for Sarka. I just, mm-hmm. I love where it starts. It's that great moment where the meteor lands and the, or the asteroid hits the ground and then the others have to fight it and Sarka just has to... I love the way they shoot shoot that with him just like from his perspective, from behind him, just being useless and having to get out of the way. And then the, I love the, I just, I just love the appreciation he gets from, I can't remember the, the guy's name, master, whatever it is. I just know it's the sword master. The guy. voice actor is the Terminator guy. Is that really? Yeah. Which one? T, the T100 guy. The, the one that isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't realize it was him. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I remember I could only recognize his voice not from the Terminator but from the film uh, Double Dragon, which is based <laughs> on the Sega game. <laughs> it wasn't just a Sega game; that was on. Wasn't it? That was on. Oh well, Super that's Nintendo what I, I played it on the Sega. Fair enough. The I don't know. I just really enjoyed the episode. I love where it the 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 sword fight at the end is really cool and compelling. Just mm-hmm. the, the the montage of him building his sword is satisfying. It's funny that you criticize mine for just being. Very functional, which is exactly how I perceive that episode. Okay, today. fair enough. Yeah. I guess maybe it, I, for whatever reason, just I just think it's I a think because you like you love um, Xander, that you love Saka. Possibly, and it's like, yeah. What well, I do think the Zeppo is one of my three yeah. favorite episodes of Buffy as well. I just guess I like that episode where they can give that the the character who literally has the least power a moment to shine and mm. we can like shine a light on that and go, you know, yeah, this is what makes you cool yeah. and helpful. You don't have to have superpowers to be important. And yeah. I love the the way they reflect that episode. We've got the, everyone else back at camp mm. and like being super bored and realizing that they miss Zuko and like trying to be funny like Zuko and failing it as well. How yeah, hot is it? it? It's it's so hot that Momo is shedding like Arpa. Good yeah. Try. Yeah. Good try. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah. not funny. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's, I think, yeah, it's just unfortunate that they had already, like, brought up earlier in the season that they didn't have a lot of time. And so they had to, like, make the joke that, like, Sucker is, like, taught in a day. Well, that, yeah, 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 yeah good point. 
I don't know. It's one of those episodes that I've watched a lot, though. Similar to mm-hmm. The Blind Bandit, I've watched Sarka's Master mm-hmm. m- more often than I've watched the series through, if that makes sense. In some ways, though, like I could easily argue that it's the second part of Sosan's Comet. Like, that moment with Zuko and Iroh alone should be enough to make it the best episode of the season, but I don't know. But I'm, it's my favourite episode. Is yeah. So, did that help you at all with your... You're going to stick with two. I'm going to stick with two. I'm allowed to have. I'm allowed to have two, but this starts getting out of control. I'm going to start cracking the whip. I'll have two next, in in some future episode. You can't. I like that you like, as like making it seem as though like I was greedy and just wanted two. Yeah. I just you, I couldn't make to, it. I couldn't decide. I love them both decide. equally. You need to decide. You need to be decisive. Remember, this is what it means to be the avatar. What was that thing? I think was it King Solomon that like threatens to cut the baby in half so the women make the decision. I feel like it's that kind of situation. But I will not let you cut my baby in half. I'm taking the baby and running. <laughs> okay. That metaphor doesn't work at all with like no. the biblical story. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, I'm having two. I can't decide. I can't. Least favourite episode? The Runaway. What? Episode seven. Why The Runaway? Can I just read my notes? Sure. <clears throat> this is the top episode. This is the one top episode of the season, basically. We did this last season. We get it. Toph and Kintara are different. Why do they hate each other all of a sudden? Can't we have another way for them to become closer without having two girls be at war? I mean, Zuko was enemies with everyone in this group, and yet he got bonding episodes that revolved around seeing one another's value and worth without openly attacking one another to get there. I'm just not... I've seen it before. We saw it last season. Why do the only two women in this group have to, like, start hating each other like that? The... Not interested. Thank my, you. Move on. My least favorite episode of last season is the chase, which is the one you're referring yeah. to, right? Um, I feel like the Runaway is a more successful version of that. It's like they went and gone. I didn't like that version. Can we redo it and make it work a bit better? Because I think there are a lot of moments that pay off really great. Also, one of my favorite ever jokes in the entire show mm. is in that episode when <sighs> Zoo, uh, Saka has the messenger hawk. He's like, I've got this great plan to get these two girls talking yeah, again. I'm gonna get. Toph to write a letter to Katara. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll pretend I've, I'll write a note, pretend Toph wrote it to Katara, and we'll get them to make up. And he writes the letter and sends it to Katara. And Katara's like, I know this is from you, Saka. Toph can't write. And it's just this moment of Saka and Aang going, Yeah, we're really idiots, aren't we? <laughs> and then he's like, What if we do it the opposite way? We're going to run into a similar problem. That is good. Um, no, I'm just. In the, what was it, Tales of Barsing Say or whatever, they found a way to find common ground. Mm -hmm. It was just, we've seen it. I don't need to see that again. Why can't we have an episode where they grow closer by actually like growing together? Sure. As opposed to like two opposites. I've seen that so many times of like female relationships. I I 100% agree with you because this is the criticism I brought up last season. Again, I'm just thinking about the runaway and that great montage where they're scamming everybody and... And Saka's got the beard and he keeps all the bribery thing fills up and he has that wink at the end. I love Saka's beard too. Every time that comes out. Every time it comes out, it's great. <laughs> I, I, I just... it's. You're right though. It seems... One, it, I don't buy that Katara would ever be like, hey, let's do a scam together. Oh, I that's like, my favourite bit. No, I don't like it. I don't buy it at I all. Totally, I totally can buy that she's like, I'm going to try and be bad for a while and pull the biggest heist of all. I've seen that in other shows and I've always, I always liked that. She's not successful at it. That's what's great. If she was really good at it, that would be... No, I don't. And I, I just don't like the fact that the Aang 
gang, there was a moment where like they're, you know, scamming other scammers, but then they start like scamming just general people. Toph pretends to get hit by a wagon. Yeah. And it's like, what? It's just highway robbery. Is what they're doing. I didn't like that. Sure. I also didn't like, what was it? Um, so, Combustion Man sets up the thingy. But wouldn't he have... One, he, apparently he doesn't speak or whatever. Anyway, sorry. So, Combustion Man is there and he's like setting up a trap for Aang. Did he tell the Fire Nation people that, can you please trap these young girls so that I can catch... The Avatar. The Avatar. So then now everyone in the Fire Nation knows that the Avatar exists. I have a similar problem with the Harmer episode, the one where we learn about bloodbending, yeah. where that resolves with like, honestly, everyone, all those Fire Nation people know that at least that Katara is a waterbender. I'm mm-hmm. like, why the hell are they letting them leave? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really dislike this episode. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of good reasons to do it. And I think about it, you try and think of another episode where any of our main heroes are fighting. Like, yeah. you don't see Aang and Sokka coming to loggerheads like this. You don't see Katara. Yeah, you just it doesn't happen. Yeah. It only seems to happen with Toph and Katara. And I can see that they suggest they've got very different personalities, sure, but it's a real shame that they're both girls. Yeah. Yep, I, that's fair. That's fair. What's your least favourite? My least favourite is Nightmares and Daydreams. I think if I could remove any episode from the season and have it not affect the plot at all, it would be that one. And I just yep. don't think it's particularly funny. I think the idea that a episode is based around someone just not getting enough sleep is kind of... I read personally kind of really related to it. <laughs> I was like, you know, I've been there. That works. Also, in a previous episode, we've talked about like what were our favourite animals. Yeah. Oh, um, now it's koala, koala sheep. sheep. You take the cuteness of a koala and you add the fluffiness of a sheep. What more could anyone want? Fantastic. Thank you very much. Those, uh, yeah, the koala <laughs> sheep are pretty excellent. So cute. The, I just guess for me, I agree that like it does a good job of demonstrating that anxiety. I've had those pre-exam dreams and stuff like that. I just don't think it's a, it's worth a whole episode to explore that. Yeah, fair enough. That, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I also don't, don't love the painted lady. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. I like Katara being a badass, but yeah, no, I don't really care. Can I? Okay. I'm it gonna... bothers me that she's like stopping the most important mission in the world so she can like save one village. It's sure. like, look at the bigger picture, Katara. Yeah. If I get a second favorite episode, right? Because you did. I love the headband. God, you're a wanker. Yeah. I love the headband. The headband is That's the second episode. Yeah. It's so fun. I just. It's really funny to me. I loved the um, the picture of Lord Ozai that he does out of like pasta. Out of, out of pasta. <laughs> it's like, like, that is very impressive. But oh, just like... Oh, I, I do like secret rivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just, just Saka's reaction to... Saka's reaction to him going to school. Yo, what? Yeah. And then... Oh, what were the parents' names? Um, it's Wangfire. It's Wangfire and, and Sapphire Fire. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> when you get home, I'm going to give you the punishment of a lifetime. And like Katara, she's a 14 year old, but yeah, she's got she's the pregnant, pregnant belly. <laughs> so it must, she must be a mother. And just the way yeah. Saka just like marches in and out. Of yeah. the, oh, man. It's, just, it's a silly episode. Mm. It doesn't add much, except what I did like about that episode is it does sort of reaffirm that the Fire Nation badness is something that is not innate. It's not, these people aren't like, like all, most of these kids are sweet. Yeah, it's, they're indoctrinated. Lots of 
yeah, journeys where they can find, um, you know, empathetic reasons to, you know, not hate all of the Fire Nation. Yeah. My only, like, hmm moment in that episode was when, towards the end, when the, like, the principal, the teacher, whatever, go to, like, break up the party. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, lucky they, like, made all those, like, spare a million headbands for everyone that was lucky. Don't, didn't you understand what the, what the headbands are? They're their belt. They all have it on their uniform. Oh, I thought they still had spare headbands. And also, why wouldn't they just like block off the cave and just be like, all right, no one leave and then find Aang? Because they get out the back. The Avatar gang leaves out the back way, the secret way. Oh, okay, right. That makes way more sense. That's the whole idea is that when they're doing the whole Spartacus thing with the headbands, that they're 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 escaping out the back way. Yeah. And then what happens actually as as they get through, Mm. um, Aang or Toph blocks off their exit so that and one of them sees and go and like one of the kids like freaks out because obviously one of them is an earthbender. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So fixed that problem for you. You did well done. (laughs) I I still think it's weird that it's your favorite episode though. Uh, I. I just really enjoy it. I okay. The same in the same way that I enjoy the Ember Island pl- other place. There's a lot of good episodes. Well, then again, right? like I like the beach, which was just like purely exactly. for the great lines. Of you're right. You're right. Exactly. These are favorite episodes, not best episodes, as I said. Uh, okay. Overall thoughts on the entire run of the show before we get to scores and stuff. Just is there like is there any particular like we've talking about this as the season, the show, in its entirety, I just think is. It's an exceptionally good fantasy story, three-act hero's tale, redemptive, amazing redemptive story for Zuko, fantastic characters all the way through, amazingly rich, well-developed world, um, so much amazing world-building. They never, if rarely if never, break their own rules. Yeah, and just the show, I know, it's it truly is heartwarming and riveting and funny and enjoyable and I there is we we're good at picking things apart and criticizing them but the overall this show is just really really satisfying and as we said back in episode 1 of these avatar podcasts if you can get through the little kitty start it has once you dig into the meat of the story and the history and the world building and the characters it doesn't let you down it's just Three seasons are a complete, satisfying story. Anything you want to add to that? That was beautifully said. I don't think I have to. Because, no, well, the, I mean, you've just summed up the entire series. What I more could so. I say to that? It was beautiful. Final score and ranking for season three. Okay, so I'm giving this season five out of five. Ooh, which, this is your second five out of five. Two weeks in two a row. Two weeks in a row. Yep, um, making it rain with the fives, um, which obviously puts it in First the spot. number one spot. Yeah, I'm going to give it four and a half, mm-hmm. which puts it squarely between We've season just two. Swapped, yes, yeah, season basically two, season three. <laughs> yeah. Um, because yeah, I want to separate a little bit from season two for the reasons I said earlier about why I think season two is better, mm-hmm. and my major criticisms about as much as the ending is emotionally satisfying, for whatever reason, I always get you know stuck in my craw when it. The plot takes convenient ways out. See, I will always go to the side of emotional satisfaction. And that's certainly, you're going to get that in this season. Mm -hmm. You do get that. So, I 
do not begrudge that at all. I think that's an excellent choice. That's good. So we won't have to fight to the death. That's Definitely not. Did you do you remember what you gave season one score wise? Three point five. Interesting. Okay, because I gave it four, which means that my final score on the entire show, if you take it as an aggregate, is four point five. Yours is going to be slightly lower. I don't know off the top of my head what it is. Give me fifteen minutes to do math. <laughs> uh, don't you remember the math exam that was going to be included? It's something like four point two five ish. Okay, great. Something around there. <laughs> That'll do it. I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head. <laughs> right. But that's pretty, I think that's pretty uh, reflective of what we think of the show. Mm-hmm. It's it's damn near close to a perfect show. Mm-hmm. Three season show, 4.5 stars out of five. It is one of the greats. It is, I can really consider this one of my favorite television shows ever and one of the best television shows on TV. I found an article, I linked it to you the other day. This is not... It's apparently a more popular opinion than I thought. Mm. This article is all about how we often consider The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and these sorts of shows to be the best shows on television. And I'm here to add, this article was saying, I'm here to add Avatar The Last Airbender should be included in this show as well. And I fucking agree with it. It is up there with some of my favorite fantasy stories ever. I wish, I'm someone who, better or worse, collects sort of crap and paraphernalia from the things that I like. <laughs> I wish I could get more Avatar stuff. I wish there was more figurines. What did you get today, bro? I got... (laughs) The mask got me, as a belated Christmas present, a replica of Sarka's boomerang. It came back. It came to me. (laughs) And I fucking love it. Because that's... Avatar should be that big. It should be that show. It Mm -hmm. should have... I should be able to go and buy a Sarka costume. You should go into, yeah, every comic book store or whatever and just like buy shit tons of stuff. Yep. Like so much stuff, it's absurd. It should be hugely popular. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, listen, it's popular in its own right. It was not an unpopular show by any means. It's done very, very well. But it's like, it, it deserves to be up there with Star Wars and with Harry Potter and stuff like that. I mean, like that. majority of people I know have no idea what it is. They've just got They're no not even idea. aware of that the show existed. They get that it was a cartoon, but they would like know just as much about like, I know, Yu Gi Oh! and would see it in the same vein. This is the problem. Because they have no idea. This is the problem. And I, and I thought the same thing as well because I thought it was just a stupid kids cartoon that like didn't have an overall arc and was just kind of like repetitive and... This is why I'm yeah. glad we've talked about this. Hmm? I'm done, I, this is why I'm glad we've talked about yeah. this because more people should be talking about this show. <laughs> they should indeed. <sighs> I am satisfied but exhausted. How are you doing? Um, my brain is no longer working. How about that? Okay, cool. But prob- I am so, so, so happy and thankful to have watched this show again. I can't encourage people enough to watch it. And this is n- not really the show that I'm naturally drawn to because um, it does have those kiddie elements. It is a fantasy show and I haven't been into fantasy for a long time, not since I was probably in my early teens. But it's so, so good. And so please watch it if you haven't. The reason it works as a fantasy is because the fantasy setting is excellent. It works on a spectacle and a world building level, but it's it's not the reason you watch it. No, the it's reason not. it's great is because of the characters mm-hmm. and the writing and the comedy and the performances and all those sorts of things. You care like any good show, you yeah. care about the characters first. Like any good fantasy. Uh, yeah, I would like, say. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'd say there's lots of fantasy, well, there's some fantasy that's lauded quite highly that doesn't always get there, though. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Let's start wrapping this up. This has been going quite long as well. We're getting good at these two-hour episodes, Damask. Sorry. 
It's just if we get we're excited about something, it tends to happen. Particularly. And it's 21 episodes, for goodness sake. That's we true, We should be too. allowed to have like a bit more time. That is true. We're going to wrap up. If you would like to contact us, you can do so on Facebook by searching for Hunting Seasons. You can find us on Twitter at Hunting Scast or Hunting's Cast. You can email us at huntingseasonspodcast at gmail.com. Apparently, I've got such a rhythm for this that Damascus is now dancing to it. It's <laughs> uh, got quite a nice little beat to uh, it. Quite, I, like it. <laughs> I, think I'm, I sort of almost am... Um, yeah, co- complimented by that. Mm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. At Masky Moo, M A S K Y, double. Ah! <laughs> sorry. I definitely peaked. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Rob was doing a nice little sexy shimmy. Um, at Masky Moo, M A S K Y, M double O. I would also like to thank, as always, Sean Kirkpatrick, who designed our wonderful logo and graphics. You can find his work at seankirkpatrickdesigns.portfoliobox.net. You can also find Jordan Calavis online. He made our wonderful theme song. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash classicjrex. That's classic J-R-E-X. I also would like to mention uh, another podcast. Some friends of ours, Kyron and Joel, make a podcast called Dialogue Options. It's a video game podcast where they discuss the news of the week, uh, talk about games they've been playing and answer ready questions. They've been doing this for the better part uh, at least half a year, if not longer now. Probably longer now. Yeah, yeah. it'd be getting close to a year now for these guys. They sort of were actually a bit of an inspiration for us to start our own. So I want to thank them for that. They gave us a lovely shout-out on a recent episode. We record ours a little bit out of schedule, so this is going to come... This reciprocal mention is going to come a little (laughs) bit later for them, unfortunately. But I do highly recommend you listen to them. Um, They have been... Yeah, every episode they just—they are super nerds in the best way. Yeah, and they—they they really, really—they—they—they they, they know their stuff too. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate listening to them every week. They are a must for me. So that is dialogue options. You can find them on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, if you do like this show, the best way you can help us and and support us is to rate and review us on iTunes. Mm -hmm. The our chances of being seen and and listened to by other people highly increases when people are reviewing the show. Um, So if you feel like doing that and would like to support us, that would be amazing. Give us some sweet, sweet stars, please. Please. That would be lovely. And now that we're done with Avatar in a couple of weeks, we'll move on from our rewatch category and we're going to move on to a currently airing episode instead. We're currently airing TV show. Yay. We're going to watch Westworld, which is a show that you and I have both managed to avoid mm-hmm. up to this point somehow. I haven't been spoiled at all for it. Which I I thought I had, but the further away we sort of get from the zeitgeist of that show being on the air, the mm. less I remember, just because whatever I heard doesn't have any meaning to me, You've really. I've got no reference points. I've got no reference points, so I've got, yeah, so I don't think I'm that spoiled. There is a bit of a discussion around the show, though. There were a lot of people who, because as far as I'm aware... Hopefully not spoiling anything. It's a bit of one of those shows which is a bit of a mystery box. It's a lot of like trying to figure out what's going on some of the times. Oh, okay. And so some people, there was a lot of discussion about that. There are podcasts that are dedicated to talking about Westworld or blogs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some people think that's a great way to watch the show is alongside that sort of stuff. Some people think it's better left to not trying to delve into it too deeply to let the show do it for you. Mm, okay. I'm not sure which one I prefer. I'm a big fan of like watching Game of Thrones every week 
an episode of that and then having like listening or reading reviews and discussions and listening to podcast episodes and stuff like that. So I personally wouldn't mind trying to do it that way. I don't know which way you'd prefer to do it. As an experiment, I'm just wondering whether yeah. I should okay. I can do it that way. I already have a podcast in mind um, that mm-hmm. I would listen to to go along with it. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. How about you watch it with a companion piece? Yep. And then I'll watch it just as a completely ignorant viewer. Okay. Cool. That way. So I we think we can have a different perspective on I, it. I think it'd be interesting just because there's been such a big discussion to mm-hmm. try and replicate that here. Yep. I I say that it will literally double the amount of time it's going to take me to watch this show. Okay. So if I don't completely get to do it exactly the way I want to, mm-hmm. I may end up watching a few shows and then listening to podcasts in the car and stuff like that. Yeah. So it might not be exactly the way that it would have been done if we were watching it week to week, but we'll see. We'll just see how that shakes out. Okay. Okay, cool. We'll have to give that a go. So look forward to that. I'm really looking forward to Westworld. I, a lot of people I know seem yeah. to love it. I mean, I wanted to watch it when it came out, but I couldn't. Because we had other things to watch. <laughs> That's right. So I'm excited now. Cool. And then next week, we finally, finally get to the final episode <laughs> of Breaking Bad. We'll be discussing the second half of season five of Breaking Bad. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Where the Are last we going to have a special guest? In that it episode? is quite likely we will. It is very likely, and I won't be embarrassing if we don't in the end, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're going to have my brother Liam on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the person who has been bugging me the most about watching Breaking Bad. Um, he's a big fan of the show, so I'm looking forward to having him on board to talk about it from the perspective of someone who loves it and, mm. you know, it really pushed it on us. I'm looking forward to just sitting back and listening to you guys fight, which is always hilarious. That's not so. going to happen. That <laughs> never that happens. not happened? All right, yeah, Hopefully you can recognise the difference in our voices because we do sound <laughs> quite similar. Yes, a little bit. Anyway, thank you very, very much for listening to Hunting Seasons. We will be back next week. Catch you then. Bye. As our friends fly off a top upper, 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 I'd say upper, upper, yeah, upper, 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 upper. I feel like it's upper, 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 upper. This world is losing all meaning. Upper, I think it's upper, 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 upper. Yep, good. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.